So yeah, we were there for about a month. We, you know, we showed up to the, to the site. I mean, it was like showing up to the Gobi desert. It was like sand for as far as the eye could see. And, um, some contour, fairly flat, but we're like, Oh, we're going to need some suitable dirt. So they, <laughs> yeah, we can't build a bike park with sand. So, you know, kind of under the cover of night, they were trucking in loads of, of clay and more suitable material. Welcome to Trail Effect. I am your host, Josh Blum. Trail Effect is a show that dives into the stories behind trails, the communities that embrace trails, and the people who rely on trails as a way of life. The goal of this show is to turn the stories you will hear from our guests into useful knowledge that can be applied to your community while providing some entertaining and inspirational content. Guests on Trail Effect include trail builders, board members, community leaders, volunteers, and regular people who really enjoy trails. Episode 159 features Shay Farrell of Flowride Concepts. Shay is another professional trail builder that has been in the game for a couple decades now. Andy is about as humble as they come. During this conversation, we go deep into some of Shay's early projects as a trail builder, along with some of his more recent projects. A special thank you goes out to Jeff over at McGill Trails for connecting Shay and I for this conversation. I received a special request to promote an upcoming film premiere from the Instagram sensation known as The Real Bike Tyson. If you find yourself in the Portland, Oregon region on Saturday, February 3rd, you should make your way over to the In the Dirt film premiere hosted by War Paint Magazine. In the Dirt is a documentary film about the Diné mountain bikers. This may sound familiar to you if you tuned into episode 94 or have seen or heard about the Resduro. This is an excellent film, so go check it out. Links for this can be found in the show notes. Cooley Creative is the title sponsor for this episode. They design and build custom websites as well as help companies with branding, photography, and e-commerce. Cooley Creative was started in Wisconsin, but is now based out of Bend, Oregon. Jared from Cooley Creative is a friend of mine. We've traveled together on multiple mountain bike trips, and sometimes he sends it. For more information about Cooley Creative, head on over to www.dojustsendit.com. Yes, that's right, www.dojustsendit will get you to the Cooley Creative website, so check it out. Trail One Components, the mountain bike component brand that was created to provide the best quality mountain bike components while giving back to the trails with every purchase of their products. My favorite Trail One components are the Crockett Handlebar, the Rockville Stem, and the Hell's Gates Grips. For a 20% discount on all Trail One components, use the coupon code TRAILPOD at checkout. By using this coupon code, you are not only supporting trails, but a small commission can come back to the Trail Effect and help support the show. Now on to the Trail Effect with Shay Farrell of Flowride Concepts. Here we are today on Trail Effect. I have Shay Farrell. Shay is a co-founder of Fluoride Concepts based out of Wheat Ridge, Colorado. And based on the research I've done, you were really early to the game in terms of what I would call modern trail building, but also the proliferation of uh, modern bike parks, especially in the municipal setting. But before we get into that, let's talk about how and why you transitioned out of the world of landscape architecture and into the world of trail building, which I think is interesting because as we've more professionalized this world, a lot of the people, especially on the planning and design side, just, I don't know if it's by chance or otherwise, but come out of the landscape architecture world. And it seems like that's a track that now, you know, if you're looking at getting into college and taking a track that then leads into trail building or trail design and construction, landscape architecture is a good track to get on. And so let's talk about your landscape architecture background and how that transitioned into where you are today. Sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, Josh. Appreciate it. Uh, big fan of the podcast, so I was excited to hear from you. So yeah, my my journey into into the trail building world started back in early 2000s. I studied design at Colorado State University, and then one of my big first jobs out of college was at DHM Design, landscape architecture land planning firm. And the team that I worked on specialized in park planning, resort and park planning. So you know we were able to start integrating bike parks into these park master plans. So that's kind of where I was able to kind of join my, you know, love of mountain biking into uh, kind of my professional career. Yeah, early on, it was, uh, we were just kind of donated some time to the efforts to start the uh, Golden Bike Park here in Golden, Colorado. 
And so I did some some renderings and some some site planning associated with that. We were working with uh, Comba on that effort. This is back in probably about 2007 ish. So yeah, we you know that's kind of what uh, transitioned me in, into the into the trail building world and incorporating bike parks into these these park master plans. So yeah, that was kind of where where it all started. I worked with uh, my my brother and uh, good friend Josh Olson of uh, the Trail Solutions. Now, back back then, we uh, we were actually working on the uh, Frisco Peninsula Master Plan up in Frisco, Colorado. So we integrated the Frisco Bike Park into that design, and uh, yeah, parlayed that into into the opportunity to build that park as well. So that's where things kind of started. Where did your journey into mountain biking start? Was that like a lot of people that had come out of like BMX, like just you know, cruising around yeah. the woods as a kid and then transition and trans transpire into as mountain bikes got better. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I grew up in the, uh, suburbs of Chicago, actually Batavia, Illinois, not a whole lot of mountains around there, some hills, but yeah, we, we rode BMX back in the days, you know, the classic plywood on single block ramps, you know, was, was the go-to. And then, yeah, I think I got my first mountain bike, you know, when I was maybe 15, 16, it was like a Huffy, uh, front suspension, you know, pretty useless fork, but, uh, that was really probably my first 26 inch bike. And then when I went to school out of Colorado state is where I really, really got into it and became, you know, an addiction of mine. Um, so yeah, that's, that's where I really cut my teeth mountain biking up there near Horsetooth Reservoir outside of Fort Collins there. Yeah. I went to school there and yeah, started my, my journey there. As you got more into your journey with, the. Uh landscape architecture side of things and then transitioning into the, in the trail design and things, what were some of the common themes that you came across when it came to like selling the idea of a bike park or bike infrastructure in the municipality world? Cause you know, that was, sure. we're going to timestamp that with, I'm, I'm going to, I'm guessing that would have been in the late two thousands for you. Yeah. So, you know, I graduated, I think it was 2003 and then started working, um, in the landscape architecture world in about 2005. So, yeah, you know, at that time, you know, bike parks, you know, it was relatively unheard of from a municipal standpoint. You know, there's more, more kind of dirt jump spots in the woods and, you know, private, private jump areas. So, you know, one of our initial challenges was kind of showing, you know, you know, the town of Frisco, for instance, you know, what a bike park was. So I was able to kind of use some of my skill sets with, you know, doing establishing kind of perspective renderings. Of the site, you know, taking the site photo, overlaying pictures of, of jumps and mountain bikers, you know, riding jumps, kind of showing them the idea behind it. Also kind of the, the aesthetic, which, you know, a set of really sculpted dirt jumps really, really looks cool, which helps. So, you know, through, you know, site planning and developing perspective renderings, you know, we're able to start kind of communicating what we were even talking about during that time. So that's, that's kind of how we, uh, yeah, really kind of Start dipping our toes in the water, and you know, eventually parlay that into into building as well. Being that it was Colorado, and maybe you didn't get any, but did you get much pushback or like what were some of the questions? Because I know that was that was pretty new. And obviously, dirt jumps were a thing. I remember back in I want to say it was '99. I was in Breckenridge for an event, a Norba event, and I remember finding a pretty significant set of dirt jumps and some pine trees. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> You yep. know, but that stuff was kind of like, don't ask, don't tell if you got there because a local got you there. That's one thing. Or, you know, you had some knowledge, but it wasn't really, none of it was really that official then. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, yeah, I think, you know, back in the day, people kind of envisioned these big gapped out tombstone jumps, you know, super expert level, you know, jump systems. So, you know, part of it was kind of some, I mind the idea of progression, you know, starting from beginners, you know, kids you know, riding pump tracks, kind of developing your skills and showing them that these facilities could be built to kind of accommodate all, all skill levels. And so, you know, I think when you start talking about, you know, family fun and really inviting a wide range of people into kind of a park setting, um, I think that helps when you're kind of talking to municipalities, talking them through the process and, and what this kind of facility um, is all about. Transitioning over to the resort side of things, you've been involved with some resorts as well. Back in the day, I think, you know, the early chairlift access, we'll say gravity bike parks now were more or less glorified fire roads. 
Sometimes there'd be single track off to the sides of them, but it wasn't like purpose built stuff. It was like, oh, this place has a lift. And so I guess we can run it in the summer and throw some and let mountain bikers go up on it. And sometimes it was as crude as you holding on to your own bike on the chairlift. Right. And <laughs> right. others, other, you know, chairlifts had hooks on them where you could hang a bike off the back of it or whatever. And, you know, so what was it like as you transitioned to like kind of sell the whole thing to like, we'll say Keystone, for example, or another maybe similar resort? you know, so they could see maybe the advantage of having this as a summer offering. Yeah, I think resorts were kind of starting to recognize the need for, for year round, um, offerings, you know? And so, yeah, back in the day that, you know, Keystone bike park, you know, we didn't, I didn't build there, but, you know, I actually met a lot of, uh, good friends who were, who were riding at Keystone back in their early days, you know, before winter park came kind of a big, uh, resort bike park out here but you know keystone was experimenting with different trail styles so pretty rocky rooty and rugged you know back in the day so you know i think we you know kind of helped show present the idea that you know resorts more like whistler were building a big wide range of trails that again pull in those kind of beginner um, level riders families and show that it's a it's a viable um offering for kind of year-round amenity so yeah, Keystone was awesome. It was kind of, you know, core, core scene back in the day. And then, you know, some of our partners in the, in the early company, um, were responsible for building some of those, some of those trails out there. And so, yeah, you know, I, I can't take too much credit for that, to be honest with you, but yeah, really that whole world started really evolving in that same kind of time frame, um, as resort bike parks started growing and being, you know, the success of places like Whistler and drawing crowd in the summer as well. Sticking with kind of the early part of your career, I noticed you've built both in places like Anniston, Alabama at Coldwater, but then also up in more my neck of the woods in like Duluth, Minnesota, and also mm-hmm. uh, a bike park that those in the Minneapolis, St. Paul area are going to be familiar with, Cottage Grove Bike Park. You know, yep. how are those different projects, you know, coming out of Colorado and then coming, you know, coming east into flatter terrain, but then also like Coldwater, I've, from what I, I've not been there yet. I'm going to go there. Mm-hmm. But from what I've been told is a pretty rugged place in terms of their yeah. rock is really hard. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. No, you, know, you know, initially coming off of, of the Frisco bike park build is when we really kind of formalized the company. And uh, one of our first um, opportunities was subcontracting for Amber Trail Solutions, Rich Edwards and Chris Bernhardt back then kind of running the show there. And uh, yeah, they invited us come build some trail down Anniston, Alabama. And um, yeah, crazy memories of that first kind of venture. You know, we decided it'd be a good idea to, to renovate a 1973 Winnebago um, in advance of, of heading down there with the intentions of, you know, part of our crew staying in the Winnebago, part of our crew staying in the local hotel there. What we didn't realize was uh, driving a 50-year-old RV at about 80 miles an hour that had a, a three-speed transmission. Well, we got it about as far as Nashville, Tennessee, before the motor blew up, which started just a, a wild chain of events in our first big project down there. But, but despite those challenges, you know, we had a great time building. I think it's now the Tortoise and the Hare Trail, what I think the trail name is there in Coldwater. But yeah, such a cool place, such a different topography and terrain and wildlife and um, different challenges that we you know, encountered on this, on this first big, first big trip down there. So yeah, we had a, a great, crazy, challenging build down there. Yeah. It went well enough where, you know, trail solutions wanted to work with us again. And so, yeah, we, we soon, I think one of the next projects was up there at Spear Mountain in Duluth came up there. I think, yeah, Aaron Rodgers and rock solid crew had just built uh candy land, I believe. And uh, so we, our first trip up there, we built the, yeah, the happy camper, which is, I think their beginner green descent so again totally different topography i mean i've been i'm from the midwest so i was was, you know fairly used to different climate and whatnot but um yeah the rains and and the challenges that that area presented really uh pushed our pushed our limits but um yeah great great time building up there came back to to spirit mountain again to build i think it's called the wildcat trail at the time, maybe like Boss Hog, I think, if I'm remembering correctly. But yeah, a couple more like advanced jump trails, fun downhill trails. 
but yeah, like one of those trips, you know, it was, we showed up and I mean, it was like spreading peanut butter around us. Everything was crazy, you know, just saturated. And, you know, but we were on a timeline and had equipment on rent and, you know, so we had to make the best of it. And, uh, you know, fortunately with those rains, it really starts to show you what, what drainage is doing pretty quickly. So, you know, able to kind of build, uh, sustainable trails and yeah, it, you know, again, had a great time doing it. And, uh, yeah, we always appreciate those early opportunities to build, build up there and experience, you know, life on the road. Just a ton of fun and huge challenges, but yeah, really rewarding. Engaging with all those local guys. I think Glenn was heading up the bike park at that point, you know, kicking around with Hansi, um, up in, up uh, around Duluth there, you know, fishing and he showing us, showed us a great time. So yeah, super fun connecting with people throughout the country on these projects. Yeah, Hansi's a person I need to get on this show, and I've and him and I have talked about that before. But I really need to get him on the show because he played such a pivotal role, especially here in the Upper Midwest with uh, with Duluth and then other communities as well. Yeah, you should talk to him for sure. I'm sure he has just a ton of ton of stories to share. So he was involved with Amba. We're going to transition. We're going to talk about the Cottage Grove Bike Park. But I think one of the things that came out of the Cottage Grove Bike Park was a publication that Emba put together on, on bike parks is, I could be wrong, mm-hmm. um, but I think that's what I remember. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we, uh, collaborated with those guys as well on, on their bike park book. I did a lot of those renderings kind of developed a style that, you know, highlighted trails, you know, in that environment, highlighted trails and features. And yeah, a ton of fun working with those guys and, uh, Bob Allen photographer for that. Yeah. And Cottage Grove was a great, yeah, again, Super fun opportunity to work with. Chance was, uh, you know, a big part of that, that bike park there. So, you know, our first, first journey to Cottage Grove there, we built the, uh, set of dirt jumps. Those guys had already done some, done some building. Chance and the local guys, I think Adam Buck was involved in those, er- some of those early efforts as well. And then, yeah, we returned to build the slope style at Cottage Grove as well. But yeah, that's just a great example of what those guys, you know, have been able to do as just a kind of a local community effort, create such a cool bike park. And you know, they're still at it, expanding it, which is so cool to see. Cause you know, a lot of times when, you know, volunteers and guys who are just kind of putting in, you know, their spare time to, to help make these parks happen, you know, you kind of run out of steam, you know, it's easy to run out of steam and get busy. And, but I mean, those guys have really stuck with it and, uh, yeah, create such a cool little, bike park for the community there and yeah it's great to see it living on here you know almost 10 years down the line here so yeah really cool you just spurred my brain so there's another book that emma came out with and it's i noticed it more in this book than the bike park book but there is renderings in this book that i'm going to show you nobody else will see it but you know it are mm-hmm. you the one responsible? Are you the one that we can give credit to that actually drew features over features so you could actually see a fe- feature like really stick out from the topography that it's in is that was that kind of your brainchild because that's now become something we see more in the industry and i think it's awesome you know i hard to say for sure if, if, I, if I was the first but yeah I'm, i mean early on i did yeah i worked with trail solutions and kind of developing that style yeah highlighting the features you know because it's, it's easy to look at a photo you know the trails and features and you know it kind of all blends together so you know yeah it kind of helped develop that that style that really accentuates features and then even kind of incorporating different line work to, to show, you know, direction of travel and the arc of a jump. And yeah, again, to help kind of visualize, you know, how people experience these, these features in a trail setting and present that to the, to the public or to the client. So yeah, that was a lot of fun. You know, these days you see such amazing 3D modeling work, 3D renderings, and you know, that it's really probably, you know, taken, taken over that early kind of perspective drawings that we would do. Yeah. Back in the time, you know, back in the day, you know, a little bit of Photoshop work and turn one of those renderings around and really helps kind of paint the picture. So yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate that because I think that more than anything, I think really helps people that are not in, in our world, you know, like your parks directors and whatnot, like visualize exactly what, you know, even just like city council members or what, you know, whatever that really aren't, you know, I mean, in our world mm-hmm. of, of trails and mountain biking, like visualize what actually, you know, the landscape could look like when, when a project is done. Definitely. 
Yeah, yeah, it's super fun to visualize. You know, really stems from. You know, I think every kid, you know, has ridden. You know, let's say you're on a road trip. You know, looking out the back window of the car, and you know, seeing the contours. You know, of the countryside pass by, and you know, imagine what a trail or a bike or, you know, snowboard, whatever it might be. You know, kind of tracing those lines with your fingers. And I know I'm not probably the only one that you know that did that as a kid. So you know, to try to depict that, you know, in a visual presentation to, to help kind of, you know, present these concepts and bike park ideas. I think, yeah, it was a lot of fun. And so that really helped kind of establish, you know, establish ourselves in, in the industry as well, um, bringing that skill set to the table. So, yeah, it's still do a little bit of that, not as much as we used to, but it's a mistake. We're busy on, on the road building these days and hard to uh, tie myself to the computer, harder and harder. I'd rather be you know, behind the controls of mini apps, but, but yeah, nice, nice to have when, when it's needed for sure. Well, we're going to go all the way around the world to a bike park that sticks out that really stuck out in terms of like the list of bike parks you have on your website. And that is Langfang bike park in China. <laughs> how, how does that one come to be? Oh man. Yeah. That one was another, another wild one. Yeah. I was invited by yeah Chris K. Meyer was working at uh, in betrayal solutions at the time. So it, Assembled a small crew. It was, yeah, Chris, myself, uh, Randy Spangler, Mark McClure in the UK, and then HM, who uh, has dirt tracks, and I believe it's his company, does a lot of work throughout Asia. But yeah, invited us, you know, to kind of help build one of the first public bike parks in Beijing, outside of Beijing. So yeah, we were there for about a month. We, you know, we showed up to the, to the site. I mean, it was like showing up to the Gobi Desert. It was like, sand for as far as the eye could see and um some contour fairly flat but we're like oh we're gonna need some suitable dirt so they <laughs> you know, we can't build a bike park with sand so you know kind of under the cover of night they were trucking in loads of, of clay and more suitable material i think there was an official in the area that they weren't supposed to see construction efforts happening so that literally under the cover of night they kind of trucked all this dirt in and um and then yeah we said about you know, building a set of jump trails, kind of perimeter XC loop, kind of this, yeah, this bike park facility um, out, you know, on the outskirts of Beijing. And it, it was, it was a wild experience. Yeah. I think so they brought in kind of a big crew of locals to provide some, some hand crew for the efforts. You know, there might've been 20 to 30 individuals. I think the youngest one was probably about 60, 60 years old. Six zero. 60. Yeah. So yeah, a little bit of an older demographic that they, that they brought in, you know, I think kind of just farmers, you know, from the surrounding rural areas, but yeah, I mean, they worked, worked super hard and, you know, helped bring this thing to fruition, but yeah, just some wild stories. And, you know, I think <laughs> one of my most kind of distinct memories was, you know, we were trying to get a hold of a plate compactor. You know, we had seen, there was actually, we'd seen some in kind of a, a rental store window in a local town, but the foreman of the, of the project, you know, on the, on the kind of GC side thought that they, what they were providing would work better. And what that was, was at one point they were hauling around this huge generator that was just like puking oil. They're hauling this thing around with a front end loader and then plugged into this generator was like it looked like basically like a motor from a maybe like an angle grinder that was mounted to this metal plate they were hanging by ropes and they had two guys holding the ropes on either side of this and that was what they were using as a plate compactor so not super effective eventually we, we talked them into renting a plate packer for the you know remaining couple of weeks you know it was just wild you know they they laid down this crew laid down like erosion blanket across I mean, massive site. They covered this place because it was sand, you know. So anywhere that wasn't trail, they were laying down this white, like erosion blanket. They were pinning it down with chopsticks, literally, as kind of, you know, as staples. You know, usually you'd use like a, you know, landscaping staple. But, um, so yeah, totally different world. But yeah, ton of fun. You know, we were able to, you know, do some fun stuff on a couple days off that we had during that month, you know visited the Great Wall and did some cool, some cool, uh, 
things in Beijing and checked out live music. So yeah, it was a, it was a crazy experience. A ton of fun. Hanging out with Randy Spangler. You know, that guy has just stories for days. I don't, know if he, I don't think we've talked to him yet, but it might be another fun one to talk to because he's been in the trailburn world for a long time and yeah, just endless stories. So yeah, great crew, ton of fun, wild experience. I just, like my brain, when you said bringing in dirt or clay under the dark of night <laughs> in a communist country. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Again, we weren't bringing the, driving the trucks. This is, you know, we had uh, instructed the, you know, the foreman that we needed some dirt. So he arranged that, but it was, it was literally kind of unfolded like that. It was, yeah, it was, it was a different experience. <laughs> How was the language barrier when it came to working with the other staff they brought on? Was that, were they able to, were you able to communicate yeah. pretty effectively? Yeah. You know, we had you know, HM who was on our, on our crew that, you know, Chris brought in. Fortunately, he was able to facilitate communication quite a bit. Other than that, there was a lot of finger pointing and, you know, yeah, at one point we were, I was digging, digging on one of the perimeter trails. I mean, just a vast landscape that we were laying this trail out. You know, I, Managed to pluck a, an irrigation line, you know, that it wasn't marked. It was, you know, they had kind of irrigation laid out throughout this whole thing, you know, so pointed at it as water was, you know, as a geyser had opened up and, you know, so a lot of finger pointing, you know, a lot of kind of hand gestures and, you know, we were able to, to communicate along with some, you know, some effective translators. So yeah, it was, it was wild. Let's bring it back stateside. Let's go to Comba. That's an organization that. It's obviously been on my radar. It's, an, it's I think it's on a lot of people's radar, but it really got on my radar more importantly or more, I guess, acutely during the McGill interview. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And specifically with Idaho Springs. And while they brought up you building Green Trail in, in Idaho Springs, I came across the sluice. Yeah. That's a trail that isn't green. No. And it seems <laughs> like... Uh, Everything I've and I, and again I didn't have I didn't have a ton of time to do research, but it seems like you're you're at one end of the end, one end of the spectrum or the other. Like we're doing green, or we're gonna send it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's yeah. talk about the sluice because this one really piqued my interest. Yeah, yeah, the sluice was an awesome project. So that the sluice at uh, at Floyd Hill, so that was one of the first maybe the first kind of yeah, sanctioned bike only directional trails in Deer Creek County. So yeah, Comba was involved from the beginning in pitching the idea and getting it approved through Clear Creek County. So they, yeah, kind of did the advocacy work for it as they usually do. And they're super effective in helping, helping pitch the ideas of, of these purpose-built trails here around the front range in, in uh, Colorado. So yeah, they, they had kind of pitched the idea, worked with Clear, Clear Creek County to get it approved. And then Scott Gordon with Contour Logic did kind of the preliminary design, the, the, the flagging of the trail. And then, yeah, we were fortunate enough to be selected to do the construction. Um, so yeah, the sluice is a, a black, you know, uh, black diamond kind of, yeah, downhill trail right along I-70. So super accessible, you know, on your way up from Denver to Summit County there. Yeah, amazing terrain topography on this in the site. Just such cool rock outcroppings and terrain to work with. So yeah, back I think it was about 2019, I believe that we we built that. Comba kind of supported us through the through the project. They did you know some kind of special projects, some rock work on certain they called it kind of dragon's back line, which is kind of a cutoff line down down the sluice, really rocky, set on some bedrock outcroppings. And yeah, we, we, we got the trail built about a mile and a quarter mile and a half descent, but a lot of different options throughout. But yeah, I mean, fortunately, you know, Comba and Clear Creek County were great to work with. James Covalli was at Clear Creek County at the time. And, you know, when we showed him like this 10 foot rock drop or something, you know, he trusted us that, you know, this worked and this would be safe when they, uh, you know, on the county land there. And so for, yeah, fortunately, they trusted us throughout the process to kind of build, build a really unique trail to the area and then yeah comba you know has since you know largely been charge of maintenance you know along with the clear creek county crews who do a lot of great work as well but you know comba is just constantly adding more rock to the trail armoring areas 
you know, really giving, giving that trail even a bunch more texture and kind of the gnar factor. So yeah, super fun trail there at Floyd Hill. There's some other trails on that, on that property that they've helped build as well. And yeah, it's become a cool little destination there in Clear Creek. So yeah, we were fortunate enough to be selected to build that one. And yeah, I mean, just a dream project. So close to home, ton of fun. According to Trail Forks, it's got a rating of 100 out of 100. And I think that, I don't know, I'm not exactly sure how the ratings go on Trail Forks, but I think it's based on use and how many times okay. it gets used yeah. and whatnot. So like it's a, it's popular based on what they're actually, like what kind of data they can capture off people's phones or whatever other GPS devices yeah. they're using, you know, as they ride the trail. So that's, that's also pretty impressive to have a, a, a double black diamond or black diamond with even more difficult options. Yeah. As the trail. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Yeah. It's good. It gets a ton of good use. And, you know, it's on the front range that, you know, the bike only trails are really few and far between, you know, so obviously with all the kind of, uh, heavy use on, on all these trails, you know, certainly mountain bikers responded to, to having a, a trail all to themselves. Yeah. It's, it's continued to be a really popular, popular trail there in Clear Creek County. And yeah, it's great to, to see that it's yeah still a popular destination for people for sure so i have not been there and i'm sure there's a lot of listeners that haven't been there what's the proximity of floyd hill to virginia canyon where the project that mcgill's talked about is going on yeah so it's it's literally about you know five to ten minutes so idaho yeah idaho springs the virginia canyon property is about five to ten minutes west of floyd hill right along I-70 there. So yeah, the Trek Trails at Virginia Canyon Mountain Park is a project that we're working on right now. We're teamed up with McGill building kind of the blue descent currently, as well as another trail loop on the on the premises there. But yeah, again, Clear Creek County, project in Clear Creek County here. Yeah, and the, the Virginia Canyon Mountain Park was uh, again, dreamt up by Comba. They've been working on getting that system approved for well over probably over 10 years now. The notorious Tony Boone did a, a preliminary master plan there, which uh, helped kind of spur project along as well. And then, yeah, we actually about two years ago now, I believe that we built an uphill climbing slash hiking trail, about a four mile climb takes you from the bottom up to the top. And then, yeah, now we're, we've been working on the, on the downhill trails, which they're just going to be super fun. It's, Again, wild terrain, super steep, super rocky, ton of bedrock to contend with. Yeah, big challenge from a building standpoint, but love to take on challenges and Billy go with the miniacs around bedrock outcroppings. And so, yeah, we're, we're working on, on that with Comba and the McGill and then, you know, the Argo and the city of Idaho Springs. The Argo is the uh, historic mine operation there. So they're, they're in, you know, collaborating on, on this whole development. Um, so it's been great to work with those guys. Yeah. Funded, you know, in part by Trek Trails, also funding from Greater Outdoors Colorado, GOCO, which they've sponsored just a ton of cool projects around Colorado, bike parts and trail systems, and a ton of other recreation, outdoor recreation amenities. So yeah, we're, we're in the thick of it, building through the winter up there now, but yeah, ton of, ton of more trails to come and there's going to be something for everyone. Yeah. As, as McGill, as those guys mentioned, Jeff and those guys mentioned there's, you know, there's a big history of, you know, private kind of pirate trails in that area, you know, which used to ride back in the early 2000s and um ton of fun, just fall line, you know, super fast and features and rocky and loose, you know, a lot of fun to ride. So it's actually, yeah, we've had an opportunity to engage those guys. Lee and some of the guys who've been building up there for a long time are, are helping build build some lines up in up in Virginia Canyon there on the property as well. Bring some more of that kind of uh you know core flavor to to the trail system. So uh, yeah, there's just gonna be something for everyone up there. Eventually they're gonna be putting a gondola in, potentially starting here this summer. But um yeah, hard to believe and tell people they're putting a gondola in. It's like really what? And so yeah, that's that's gonna happen. But yeah, super fun project and it's been great teaming up with those guys to to bring it to life here. Yeah, it's it was not on my radar until until I was talking to Jeff and those guys ahead of that mm-hmm. that conversation and then I dug into it more. I was kind of really blown away by all of it. Really. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. Like I said, Comba's 
you know, been instrumental in getting that approved. Gil McCormick with, with Comba has walked that property from top to bottom probably about 200 times just scouting stuff out. Um, so him, you know, him, Gary and Bob and a couple other guys from Comba have, you know, been awesome to work with. Just providing all the support they can, doing cool, again, doing cool, you know, projects with their strike force team, building other rock lines and helping, yeah, supplement what we're, what we're building up there. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be a, a huge thing for the Seattle Springs there. You know, it's just kind of stop over on, on I-70, you know, on your way up to Summit County, but now there's, you know, even more of a reason to, to stop and ride your bike. And again, it's, I mean, it's about 30, 40 minutes from Denver. Yeah. Same to Summit County. So kind of right in the heart of things but yeah it's, it'll be a, it'll be a lot of fun but yeah it hasn't you know we, there hasn't been much it hasn't been talked about a ton you know as far as getting people hyped up about it yet but i think you'll start seeing more and more you know coming up online as we finish some of these trails out and get ready to open them heading back to frisco you know you've mm-hmm. worked in a lot of different communities and this you know miguel's brought this up too i like calling him the miguel's because nobody's actually named miguel <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) but they brought this up too but how is it to work in a you know in a community like frisco in terms of like how progressive they are you know versus like some of the other communities you've seen like what are some of some of the things you've taken from that that other people could maybe you know take as well you know that yeah you know as far as working with them for sure you know yeah back in 2009 i think is kind of when we when we built frisco bike park there you know, they're in Summit County, so they're, you know, they're used to kind of, you know, progression, you know, in the resort setting. So, you know, they're used to, you know, aggressive outdoor recreationists and, you know, they have that contingent of people that get after it, you know, in the mountains, whether it's on bikes or skis or snowboards. But, you know, they, they embrace that idea, you know, with the bike park or building advanced level features. And yeah, fortunately, they've also kind of embraced the idea of evolving, you know, the bike park there. You know, so we were, Obviously, we worked with Public Works back in the day get, to get that bike park built. And um, and then throughout the years, that park's evolved a lot more currently. Cody and the Jump Doctors have been just instrumental part of that bike park as, it, as it's evolved over the past you know 10 years or so um, and re- really become a, a dirt jump destination. So they've, yeah, Frisco, you know, has recognized, you know, that need for progressive outdoor recreation. and they really supported supported the efforts through the years, and yeah, again, so that bike park really evolved really nicely over the years to become what it is, what it's today. And then, yeah, the McGills, you know, bought little aftermath, a new new jump trail there on the peninsula, just to add you know some more to that area. So it's really really become a, a destination, and yeah, free free to the public, which is awesome. You know, they support kind of supplement that with the winter operations. They've got Tubing Hill and little no terrain park and so that helps kind of offset some of the costs on the on the summer and then there's fortunately so yeah great working with municipalities that kind of recognize that need from the community and, and, and support it well transitioning into the planning and design side of things um we talked about this before i hit record but jeff told me jeff mcgill lehman yeah <laughs> <laughs> Told me that you're yep. an absolute wizard when it comes to your computer skills. Um, even though you've already alluded to the fact that you'd rather be operating some <laughs> joysticks than uh, a keyboard and a mouse. <laughs> but yep. along those lines, like we, us as an industry or community, like in building trails, you know, we have we do have some pretty loose standards. But at the same time, there's been a pretty huge progression on the planning and design side of things. And as you've seen it, like how has that helped us? get more traction with municipalities and get more traction with like, you know, at one point it was, you know, we were just doing stuff where we want to do stuff. And now, now we have to get permission. And then now, and then on top of that, you should really show what you're going to do to get that permission. Right. Like, especially to the people that, you know, may, may not be mountain bikers or understand what we're, we're doing. Maybe they've, you know, only installed, I'm going to say the word pickleball courts or, uh, (laughs) Basketball courts, right. ball fields, the traditional recreation infrastructure that, you know, has been going on for decades. You know, how have mm-hmm. you seen, you know, good planning and design really aid in helping bring this to life in, in municipalities and communities? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, as, as bike parks have evolved over time, you know, certain features and bike park elements, you know, have become a little bit more universal, I guess. Um, I wouldn't say standard, you know, it's never kind of a, 
you know, a standard layout or design, but, you know, in, in kind of helping develop details and specifications, you know, as part of a larger construction document set, you know, that's really what municipalities can relate to seeing, you know, construction documents for whether, whatever other kind of part, you know, they may be more accustomed to working with. So, you know, being able to kind of develop plan sets, renderings to really help communicate in, you know, in a degree in a third dimension, what these, what these features look like and how they're experienced, you know, has really kind of, you know, brought that communication or language, you know, to somewhere that they, they can recognize, you know, as you're working through different submittals and approvals. And, you know, as, as more and more bike parks, you know, kind of come online and come to fruition, you know, they can look at other communities and see the examples and see how much use they get, you know, of such a wide range of people little kids and strider bikes to, you know, older demographic who are still getting after it and progressing their abilities. And so, you know, from a park, from a park standpoint, it's, you know, you can just engage so many more people. So, you know, you know, kind of communicate those ideas and designs, you know, in an effective, in an effective way through construction documentation has been, you know, really critical in, in doing that. So it's, yeah, it's been, been awesome to be part of that process and see how that's evolved here over the past, you know, 20 years um, now that you know, bike parks become more and more, more, more prevalent. Well, and then on, as a, as a business owner, someone who bids on construction projects, you know, how is it, you've, I mean, how have you seen the evolution been with like having maybe looser documents versus documents that are tightened up better so you can actually put a better price on something and you're going into mm-hmm. it, you know, cause we see, I mean, every project that comes out looks different. But when you know, yeah. when there's less unknowns and less variables, you can, you can kind of dial stuff in more. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's just part of the, you know, bidding process. It's, it's super helpful to have kind of a set of plans that you're, you're basing those bids on, those competitive bids. So yeah, it's, it's been, it's been really good to, you know, to see how that has helped, you know, standardize those things in a way. You know, I think it's also kind of important, you know, to leave that kind of highlight that flexibility though also within the plan set where it's, you know, this is darn close to what it's going to look like, but there's that field fit component, you know, leaving that flexibility to 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 make those modifications in the field, you know, as as it's necessary to build, you know, a well functioning park. You know, you have to be building it, test riding it. And so kind of it's been critical to kind of you know, c- continually remind client of that aspect of it, which is a little bit different from other, you know, other park amenities. And then, you know, it's been super helpful to have, you know, organizations like the PTBA, Professional Trail Builders Association, you know, who, who kind of, you know, isn't, they kind of an aggregator of, of these different RFPs. Um, and then, you know, providing that, uh, stamp of approval for, for companies that are in the PTBA. So it's, you know, you, you know, you're getting, qualified builder bidding on this and you know really kind of brings everything a little bit more to a more standard kind of product um in the end trails and and bike parks you know making sure people are qualified you've got a great set of plans to be working off of to kind of price out bid on so yeah it's been it's been really good i mean yeah you kind of the proof is in the pudding you see how many more of these projects you know are coming online and you know in the early days when we started the company you know, 10, 12 years ago, you know, we traveled around a lot. I mean, out of desire, but also, you know, there weren't that many opportunities just focused solely locally here. And then, you know, that, that's changed quite a bit as, as, uh, county agencies and municipalities have understood the demand for, you know, purpose built mountain bike trails and bike parks. You know, we've been able to kind of focus closer to home here over the past five or six years. Yeah. Because there's been, the demand for it um, throughout Colorado and the Front Range here, and so that's yeah, we've been really fortunate to be, to be part of that. Well, well, and you just brought up a topic that I don't, I definitely want to talk a little bit more about, which is planning and design, but leaving the flexibility and the freedom up to the builder. You know, because that's that is definitely mm-hmm. a departure from what a traditional, uh, say, a park structure or something might look at. But at the same time, needs it's, that's something that needs to be maintained, an aspect that needs to be maintained within our world 
because it, you mm-hmm. know, that's, that's why you, you know, you hire a certain builder to get a certain job done, you know, and you can, maybe you can base that right. on, you know, examples of previous work that they did and yeah. granted, they're not going to recreate the same thing somewhere else. And I don't think they'd want to, but right. we also need to keep, keep, we keep sure we reinforce to potential clients in terms of planning and design that having a builder mm-hmm. or a company come in and giving them the freedom to really express what they want to express in a responsible way. Yeah, definitely. No, it's, it's, it's critical piece of it. You know, there's a lot of people can kind of build your standard multi-use trail that's, you know, accommodates a range of users. And then, you know, it's a little, it's just a little bit different building that bike only advanced descent or whatever bike park with, you know, beginner through advanced jump lines or, you know, it's again, you can create a set of plans that will get you real close and, um, it'll, it'll create a framework for the bidding, pricing out a project and understanding some of those cost implications. But then, you know, getting the, the right crew on the ground that's, has, has done it, you know, has proven experience doing it. And so, uh, yeah, again, like great thing for the PTA that is able to kind of vet different companies and not to say there's not qualified builders outside the PTA, PTDA, but yeah, you know, you've got a group of professionals who's reviewing applications for this company who's can look at the projects they've done and say, yeah, that's, that was done well. That's really been well received. It's held up well over the years. But yeah, cause it's really kind of that artistic component of it. You know, they can kind of, you know, interpret that, that plan set and then really bring it to reality, you know, to be a really nicely flowing, well functioning. Uh, bike park, you know, or trail system. So yeah, that, just having that, that process, you know, that kind of qualifies builders from past experience, you know, it helps the client get the right, right group of guys to, or gals to build, build a project. Yeah. And you've, you've brought up PTB now a couple of times. Um, one of the, one of the things, so about a year ago, I interviewed a guy, I got, well, a little less than a year ago, goes by the name Dirt Sculpt Dave. Yeah. He's out in the East Coast. And he's a PTBA member. And I asked him, I'm like, you know, so what, you know, what you do is, is really, it's a lot of like the same thing of what you yourself do, Shay, with it's more in the Mm -hmm. world of bike parks and that. And I said, how is it to be a PTBA member? You know, cause historically PTBA, it's only, let me rephrase this only recently. And I'm going to say in the last 10 years, has PTBA been really become a really bike dominated entity which I think is a good thing because I think it's helped push the envelope for all forms of trail use in terms of, you know, getting drainage and everything dialed. But he compared being a member of the PTBA as like also being in the yellow pages, like municipalities now know who you are. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Dave King, third scope Dave. Yeah. He's kind of a legend, been doing it for a long time and OG in the, in the business there. And so, yeah, exactly right. You know, it gives people somewhere to look you know, to find these qualified, qualified builders and entities around the country. So yeah, it's a really good thing. You know, we've, we've been members, uh, Progressive Trail Design sponsored us back in, I don't know, maybe 2016, 2017 in our bid to join the, the PTBA. And um, yeah, they, they provide a ton of value for, for their members. And then, yeah, again, again, just kind of a, a great place for, for clients and counties and municipalities to, to come looking for the right talent to get the project done so which didn't really you know exist before that so yeah really good organization to be part of and they put on a ton of events that you know help educate builders and continued education and um yeah help promote their members and you know it's that's a really valuable thing yeah served on the board for a couple years I, i jumped off the board here last year just uh had a little girl Radley who's almost two now. So I, you know, had my hands full and felt like I wasn't able to contribute the kind of time I wanted to to the board efforts. But uh yeah, a lot of respect for the people who just put in a ton of work, you know, on their own to help further that organization. And I'll uh try to jump back on the board here at some point. I've got a little more time freed up probably. <laughs> Moving on to what I like to refer to as famous failures. Failure I think often connotates, you know, a negative thing, but really the point of this is more of a positive thing. Famous mm-hmm. and failure just happen to go together because they're, you know, F words. <laughs> so, <Yep. laughs> 
But what are right. some learning examples you've had, you know, through your career in this that maybe other people could learn from or kind of just, or even if you got a humorous story in terms of like something you learned out of, from sure. besides driving a, yeah, you, a three-speed across the country to Nashville and then blowing the water. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mentioned that one. See, that was the first one. First of many. Now, um, you know, I think the thing that we, you know, one of the things that we continue to, to learn on is, you know, in a bike park setting is, is dirt materials you know clay different types of clay you know there's been there's been projects that um we found uh you know i mean the reality is dirt is different all over the country all over the world and you know you really have to get you know into that local area to find out what's available find out what works um so you know i think that's one of the biggest learning curves is finding the right material especially for bike parts um you know we found material in the past that Look to be the right stuff, nice clay content, packs well, you know, easy to work with, but then, you know, you get a little too much water on it and it starts fluffing up, you know, and it's expansive clay, it's expansive soils, which are super prevalent. They're really prevalent here in the front range as well. So it's, you know, we've, we've built a set of jumps and then, you know, the dirt just was not holding up like we wanted it to. And so we've, recap the entire set of jumps um in the past you know while back now but you know i think that's one thing that we continue to try to get right everyone's got different opinions on dirt you know there's bike parks that source material from a certain place locally here that you know we're still trying to refine their their mix i'm always sitting with the soil scientist when he gives his talk at uh the ptba conferences you know trying to pick their brains and trying to figure out more sustainable solutions and so yeah that's certainly uh you know a big a big challenge that uh yeah we're continuing to you know as bike parks you know specifically keep looking for kind of low maintenance solutions you know playing materials and figuring out you know what works we're going to be building a bike park here down a little south of denver coming up pretty soon here and you know they really wanted a low maintenance solution but they also wanted to maintain texture some of those elements of mountain bike trails, you know, so you don't want to asphalt the entire park, you know, which, you know, you're seeing more and more asphalt work now, which is great too. You know, we, we are incorporating the asphalt pump track into that project, but then we're also doing just a ton of rock armoring, ton of flagstone armoring berms. You know, we're going to be really trying to build a park that, you know, requires a little bit less maintenance. You know, the downside of that is, you know, harder to evolve, like, you know, like a park like Frisco. Like I said earlier, it's evolved really nice over the year, over the years because of that fact that it's built, you know, out of dirt. So it's, you know, you're building new lines, keeping the park fresh, keeping people engaged, you know, the local communities and riders, passionate riders love to work on jumps, love to improve things, build new lines. So I think that's, you know, you're kind of finding the balance between really building a permanent facility, but also building something that can kind of grow and evolve, you know, over the years as people progress as well. Yeah, dirt. It's it's tricky. We, we it's uh it's always different on every project, and I'd say that's one you know one of the famous failures or opportunities for improvement. <laughs> yeah, and I can see where that you know where that is super important. Like in a park like Frisco, where you do have it, just it changes over time, and people can you know people mm-hmm. have the freedom to to do to do more. And and then the other side of the spectrum is like pre manufactured features, right? Yeah, yeah. Definitely. I mean, and we, and great, you know, we work with American Ramp Company, spec a lot of their prefab stuff more and more. Yeah, because I mean, you have to keep the facility safe as well. You know, if you have a dirt jump that hasn't been maintained, the radius changes, you know, things change and, you know, become unsafe to use. So, yeah, we, we, you know, love working with those guys and working with uh, prefab ramps as well. And, you know, to really strive to make each part different still though, you know, even with, even if some of those features are, are somewhat standardized, you know, you can always configure them in different ways and creative uh, use of those features. It's fun to try to integrate the designs. Well, we're going to go to one of the fan favorites or listener favorite questions, but I'm going to ask it a little bit differently. And that is relative to trail communities. And so if given the chance to design and build a new trail community, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to answer from a selfish perspective. What are the amenities you feel are most important to you? And what would you personally like to see in that trail community? Hmm. 
good question. Let's see. You know, I think more than anything, I guess, I guess again, you know, progressive trails that really can bring beginner riders into the mountain bike and biking world, but also provide trails for, you know, kind of seasoned veterans to be progressing their skills on and challenging them, pushing the, pushing the limits as well. So it's, you know, it's, you know, it's kind of that build that they will come kind of thing, you know, trails, good terrain, some elevation, not, not critical, but you know, you do need some to provide those kind of gravity experiences. Um, but that, yeah, selfishly, I should have added, you can, you can put this community anywhere too. So you can actually, you can say what there would be for elevation (laughs) and stuff. You don't. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) It's nice to have at least a thousand feet of, of, uh, vertical drop, you know, so you get those trails that are, you know, you can get that advanced trail. It's still like a three mile, you know, descent. So providing plenty of, plenty of fun for, for everybody. But, um, you know, I think it's really like. It's similar to what, you know, Bentonville's been doing where, you know, I'd, I'd incorporate trails in the greenways throughout town, you know, that lead out to kind of more remote, longer distance trail networks, you know, providing that, the idea from riding out from your door, um, you know, stopping at a cool restaurant or microbrewery, whatever it might be on the way home from a ride. You know, in Denver, we don't really have you know, Wheat Ridge, we don't really have that luxury of riding out the door. I mean, I'm sure some people do, you know, on a, on a long ride, you know, to the foothills. But yeah, that's, you know, like my next, wherever I live next, we move, you know, would be closer to the trails where I could hit them from, from the front door. So yeah, I just like the idea of you know, creating those networks in town that, you know, progress you and advance you out to the more remote uh, trails and, you know, gravity oriented stuff is just, you know, my preference, you know, so getting that elevation thousand foot plus elevation gain um to kind of create some of those experiences yeah having having cool bike shops and brew pubs and you know restaurants to kind of finish out your day at on the way home i mean i think that's the dream for, for any mountain biker but you know when the people really make it though the clubs you know i think the local clubs are so critical to each area creating that bike community you know promoting trails, advocating for them, you know, creating a, a place where people can gather, you know, different events and talk trails and donate and help, help make things happen. Cause people love, you know, mountain bikers love to help be part of that process, you know, of getting new trails to the community. And yeah, that's, that's, uh, yeah, that's, that'd be my dream. Somewhere you could ride year round. It's nice around here, you know, front range. We can kind of ride some trails throughout winter. If it's kind of South facing plenty of years where we can be riding throughout the winter and yeah, year round riding part of that puzzle too. <laughs> Selfishly, but yeah. yeah, that's, that's what I'm looking for too is year round riding. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> to summarize that, what I think I heard was the next evolution of the stacked loop trail system, but it isn't the stacked loop trail system. It's a stacked loop community. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you said it. That's the one. That's awesome. <laughs> cool. December of 2023, I was, I was in the, the, we'll say the greater Detroit area for some work. And it was interesting because while I was there, it just happened to coincide with, with one of their, the uh, Motor City Mountain Bike Club's meetings. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to tell you right now, it was almost like I stepped into a time machine and <laughs> went to a, like a regular mountain bike club meeting from, well, we could even say 2000 or 2002. Yeah. There's a few more females in the room, which is good to see because it used to just all be dudes. Right. But it was a bunch of people met at a microbrewery mm-hmm. to talk trails. And it was so refreshing yeah. to see a community that was super proud of what they have and super, super amped up on what they have. And I'm going to tell you what Detroit has isn't a lot. You know, we're talking little pocket parks of like a couple mile systems here, a couple mile systems there. There's no big epic adventure you know, systems, but from what I could tell, they have a very healthy cycling community there in that whole Detroit Metro area. And it was such an awesome thing to see. I hadn't, I hadn't totally. seen, I haven't seen something like that in a really long time. Yeah. And so it was, it was cool awesome. to see that. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, people are, mountain bikers are really great at, you know, just using what they have 
you know, even though I requested a thousand feet elevation for my dream community, you know, I, it's, it's not critical. Having grown up in, you know, like I said, the suburbs there of, of Chicago, I mean, we could go out and have fun all day at just the local forest preserve with little hills, you kickers here and there, you know, some jumps. And I mean, people embrace what they have and have a ton of fun with it. I mean, it's, it's really all comes all down to the, down to the people and their love for riding two wheel. It's, it's pretty cool to see. That's awesome. It's awesome to hear that it's thriving up there and yeah, kind of reminiscent of where most of these clubs kind of started out. And yeah, that's huge, huge joy in our work is working with these different clubs all over the place, you know, and seeing the passion they bring and people out there just get, uh, you know, donating their, their sweat and making things happen. And, uh, I mean, we feel just incredibly fortunate to be some of the lucky ones to get paid to build, build jumps. You know, it's a lot of kids dream to do that. And so I try to remember that every day and, you know, ton of challenges involved, you know, difficult days, but always try to remember what we're doing out there and feel super fortunate, you know, yeah, to be able to work with my brother, Casey, who's, you know, the, the other part of uh, our company and the guy, Victor, who's just a critical piece of flow ride as well. And yeah, these guys, super, super hard workers, you know, and love doing it. And so it's, yeah, it's fun to be involved in, with these guys and with the community at large doing this. Ton of fun. With that, before I wrap this one up, do you have, are there any closing comments or anything that maybe we didn't touch on story or something that we didn't, we didn't get to that you want, you'd want to uh, tell before we wrap this one up and then also throw out some thank yous? Yeah, no, definitely. You know, I think, yeah, we've got to recognize some of the people we've been fortunate to work with, re- you know, recently working with Jefferson County and, and some of their, one of their first bike only um, directional trails. And you know, it's, it's just awesome to see more and more of that happening here, selfishly close to home with Clear Creek County and Jefferson County and some of our, our, our clients here um, around around home. And then the clubs, you know, the Combas, the, the Route County Riders up in Steamboat, you know, up in Estes Park, just the, the organizations that have, uh, you know, I think they do the hard part in a lot of ways, you know, getting these things, getting the ideas presented, raising the funds to make it happen. You know, they're doing, they're doing the work that needs to be done to help, uh, help continue making this happen and growing the trails around the country. And yeah, you know, I'd say thanks to, again, thanks to my guys here at Flowride, Casey and Victor and Quentin and Jay and a few of our guys who we've worked with over the years. And yeah, again, Jeff and McGill and Josh, you know, Olson with Trail Solutions, some of the guys that, you know, we kind of started this this idea with and started doing this around working around the country building trails. So thanks to those guys, you know, got to thank my folks who always supported us and doing whatever crazy ideas we dreamt up of, you know, including making a living building jumps. So got to thank them and my wife, Becca, baby girl, Radley. Can't wait till she's out shredding our trails as well. So yeah. And thanks to you, man, for, for doing this podcast. I just always, one of my go-to Go to listens behind the controls to Mini X or you know so much fun listening to guys you know Adam Bucks and Tony Bones and uh, you know all the guys that uh, you know have been doing the same thing we've been doing over the past 10, 20 plus years yeah it's been fun listening to you pick their brains and hearing how people are doing it and you know how we can continue making things better in the in the trails world around the country around the world yeah well Shay I really appreciate that and. Thank you for taking the time to come come on this this uh, podcast so yeah. people can hear your ideas because I think, you know, there's always a whole bunch of different ways to get something done and to be able to knowledge share and compare notes and, and just hear what other people are doing and get inspired to maybe to just do something a little bit differently or add, you know, add a little bit of spice to a trail or something, whatever, whatever it is. I hope we can continue to help inspire growth or even inspire a volunteer yeah. to, to get that access we need to build, right? Definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, hey, happy to be on. It was a lot of fun recounting some of the stories from over the years. And yeah, looking forward to seeing where you take this. Yeah. Well, I thank you. I didn't, awesome. I didn't think you would have a story like that from China. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, there's, I'm sure there's plenty of stories I'm, I'm not remembering or yeah, can't mention on air. Maybe I don't know. No, it's uh, yeah, <laughs> fun. <laughs> fun. I've seen how people do it all over the world and love, love the travel associated with it too. So. 
Yeah. Thanks, Josh. Well, thank you. Great talking to you. Thank you for listening. If you like what you've heard, please take the time to share these shows with others. Sharing these shows will help create awareness of both the guests who have taken the time to be on the show and the podcast series itself. Also, if you're new to the Trail Effect Podcast, check out our ever-expanding library of episodes. If you listen to the Trail Effect Podcast on Apple or Spotify, please don't forget to leave a rating and review, as this is one of the best ways to show your support for the Trail Effect Podcast. Also, don't forget to check out Cooley Creative at www.dojustsendit.com. For additional ways to help support the Trail Effect Podcast, check out the Affiliate Links tab at the Trail Effect website, where you'll find links to Kettle Mountain Apparel, Worldwide Cyclery, and Trail One Components. By using the affiliate links found at www.trailfectpodcast.com, a small commission will come back to the podcast, which will help keep this thing going. This podcast has been edited and produced by Evolution Trail Services. Thank you again for listening. <laughs>